0: Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times best-selling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you someone I consider a friend and someone who I also consider a mentor, especially when it comes to the realm of nutrition. Dr. Dan Wachowski, thank you so much for joining us here today.
0: It's great to be here.
1: Well, let's start, if we can, with your background. You've kind of taken a sharp turn left as it comes to your medical profession. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just an enlightenment. What happened was a little bit what was going on in my practice and a little bit what was going on with my own family in my practice as I started to follow patients over a long period of time. You know, in residency, you only see patients for a very short period of time and you really can't follow them to see that they you know acquire certain conditions or you know, they start to gain weight or have other problems that are chronic, like heart disease and get put on medications or taken off medications. So you really don't have that chance. That trajectory. Right. So during my OBGYN residency, I didn't see people over long periods of time. But as I became an obstetrician gynecologist in private practice, I started following people And about 10 years into that practice is when I started to realize that people were asking me questions that I couldn't answer. Most of them about some of the medications they were getting put on, like Lipitor, insulin, because mm-hmm. you know, they were saying they were having problems with diabetes or they were having problems with their cholesterol or high blood pressure medicines. And they, I, I couldn't explain why that was happening to them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could deliver their baby, I could take care of any of their female problems. But I was really struggling with being able to explain what it was that was going on with them that created these chronic problems and needed this medication, like almost like they, you know, had a a lipitor deficiency or Mm -hmm. something that was wrong with them, but it really wasn't. And so I thought maybe I signed up for the wrong job. (laughs) I thought maybe that I wasn't really there to help anybody because I wasn't helping anybody. In the long run Mm. And then What was happening at home um, With my father uh, He was really acquiring A lot of the same conditions He had already had A quintuple bypass surgery Right at Mass General Hospital One of the best Cardiac hospitals in the world He then You know Got worse and worse with his diabetes and became, you know, insulin dependent. Um, he had complications from all of that, and a few years before he died, he even had his leg amputated. So that significantly wow. changed his life. And here I am, you know, I'm I'm his son, the doctor, and sure. I to even help him. I really didn't even know all those answers, and so I knew it was something else. And so I dragged my wife, Pamela, all over the country to try to figure out what it was that I needed to learn. Was it complementary medicine? Was it integrative medicine? Was it um, all these new things I heard about functional medicine? But I didn't know until I met Caldwell Esselstyn at an integrative uh, medicine conference in Chicago in Mm. 2008. And I'll never forget it because he told the story that was very similar to mine when he was a general surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic that he knew that he really wasn't helping his patients as much as he wanted to. And when he told his story, that I said, wow, that's what I want to do. And then I found lifestyle medicine because he was one of the founding fathers of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And then from there, it just kept growing. And I kept going to all their conferences. I remember when Pamela and I went out to Washington State, uh, it was really the second annual American College of Lifestyle Medicine conferences. There were 50 of us in the room, only 50 of us from wow. all over the country. Yeah. And then this year, we're going to the I believe it's the seventh uh, American College of Lifestyle Medicine conference. And not only are we going to have an opportunity to sit and take the board exam and become certified in lifestyle medicine, but I believe they're expecting almost a thousand doctors and health professionals at that conference. And it's just grown so dramatically.
1: You know, when I speak to physicians who have made a shift from whatever whatever one area of the body they were specializing in they kind of all have a similar turning point where they have this moment where they realize like people aren't getting better what what's what's missing here and that integrative approach is a common theme I keep hearing amongst these experts who have this moment in their careers where you know this isn't why I went into medicine I want to make people well
0: Right. And medicine has really here in Western medicine has really taken a turn for it becoming very specialized. And we become such experts in such a small piece of what medicine is all about that we really lose the big picture. We can't really see the forest through the trees. All we see are all these individual trees and we try to put Band-Aids on problems or, you know, help people with their immediate problem, but don't really have the time or even have the the fund of knowledge to be able to approach the whole person, their whole body, looking at every aspect of their life and trying to help them put it all together so that they can be as well as they can be.
1: And how much of a role does diet play in our wellness?
0: Yeah, I mean, when I started really looking into lifestyle medicine, I discovered that Diet plays a huge role, you, you know, the old 80 20 rule and most things in life, and it has to be in that 80%. Wow, because we are what we eat. And really interesting, if we decide to eat the different animals, then we even are, you know, we are what they eat, too. So it's we have real. to be really careful with some of the choices that we make. But diet really is one of the pillars that I really put my whole lifestyle medicine practice around
1: your Wow, that is a really strong yeah. statement. And yeah, How much of that is taught in medical school?
0: (laughs) That's a great point, Chalene. You know, I went went to Tufts Medical School right here in Boston. And I can remember walking to that school, which is on Harrison Avenue, if anybody knows Boston, right on Harrison Avenue, downtown in Chinatown, Mm -hmm. uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I would walk down Harrison Avenue, right next door to the medical school was the Friedman School of Nutrition. And that's a world renowned school of nutrition, you know, almost as big as, you know, Harvard Medical School of Nutrition. Yeah, Um, I remember seeing the sign there. And I I can even vividly see it in my mind right now today. I said to myself, I can't believe that there are people in there doing work. What the heck could they be doing in there? (laughs) Don't they know that all of the action all of the business is right here next door in the School of Medicine? Wow! You know, little did I know at that point, I thought it was still all about learning the pharmacology, you know, learning the biology. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that it was really based on how we gave our body nutrients that we were able to function as well as we should or even prevent some of the dysfunction that we would develop if we weren't eating the proper foods.
1: You know, I have had this revelation myself um, so strongly this year, recognizing that so much of what I've done the last 20 years is to teach people like how to make their bodies better without yeah, paying any attention to nutrients. Like I I mean, other than like what other people have written on blogs and what I've heard other experts say, I'll just regurgitate that same information. But, you know, for me, my um, paradigm shift, similar to your own, is when I realized like, okay, Maybe we should start with what we're putting in our bodies right. and how that has, and then then maybe we don't have to worry about our weight so much. Maybe everything falls into place when our nutrients are right, when our gut health is right, and right. it'll fix the brain, it'll fix the body, it fixes our mood. It, it's it's all of those things. And even being right next door
0: to that school of nutrition mm-hmm. at Tufts, we still, and we got some of the most nutrition training than other medical schools. I think it was 21 hours.
1: Out of how many years?
0: Out of eight years total, if you want to include the four years of residency it took to become an obstetrician-gynecologist. That is crazy. 20 hours. I know. It doesn't seem like a lot at all. No. But here's even the funny thing is that most of us, I don't know if you remember this, Shaleen, but when you went to school, there were some classes that you kind of blew off because <laughs> you were so busy with the other classes. In medical school, you're so busy trying to learn as much information as you have to learn that we used to even call the nutrition class a gut class. I don't know if you ever use that term no. because you really can just answer the questions from your gut and you'd probably wow. get it right. Wow. And it was so ironic that we would call nutrition the gut class. But most of us <laughs> never even showed up for that class the and irony. just took the exam at the end.
1: Do you see a change happening um, with, with our major major universities, our major medical schools?
0: Yes, I've been involved with the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine, which is also part of Harvard Medical School. Um, and they have really initiated a whole residency training program in lifestyle medicine, which a huge part of that is nutrition training. There's a few medical schools like the University of South Carolina, which has really incorporated a whole residency um, based nutrition training, lifestyle medicine training curriculum that they're introducing not only the medical students to, but also having residency training in that.
1: Well, you consider yourself a plant based physician, Yes. Is that true? And and yes. so let's start with the definition as you deem it of what does plant-based mean? Does that mean you're a vegan?
0: No, I you know and I hate putting labels on things just <laughs> like you do, Shaleen. I mean yeah. when you put labels on things, people then put you into a pigeonhole. But yeah. you know I, I've never said that I'm a, a vegan or a vegetarian. I don't like to use labels. But what I do is I talk to people about eating a whole food, plant based diet, and I talk about all those four words and how important each one of those words are. Whether it's whole, so that you're eating the food as it comes, as nature gives it to us. Mm. That it's food, that it's actually food, <laughs> and not something that's man made or made in a in a in a plant mm-hmm. by a man, you know. And then that it's plant. Um, based And a plant means that you're eating mostly what grows out of the ground or grows into the ground. Mm-hmm. And then based is an important word, too, because does it really need to be 100 percent? You know, I don't know if there's any research that says that it has to be 100 percent. I mean, as close as you can get to eating a whole food plant based diet, the better. And there's plenty of research that says that. But if you, you know. When, when I look at my life, I know, um, I, I come from Polish descent, that I have kielbasa on Easter, along with colored <laughs> Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, the seven fishes before Christmas. I'll have lobster on New Year's Eve. And Pamela and I, my wife Pamela and I, even traditionally make Peking duck on New Year's Day. Mm. But if you look at the whole year, you know, there's only a few times, and you can, I can count them on one hand, that I would eat animal products in a very traditional way.
1: It's so liberating just to hear you free us of those rules. And I so agree with you that they they aren't often helpful. And they also make people shut out any other options or science sometimes. Or I've always said when we know better, we can do better. And it's hard to do better when you don't want to hear anything that might conflict with a label you've given yourself.
0: Right, and anything that's de- you know where you're depriving yourself of anything is not sustainable mm. because you know, and that's been shown over and over again when people have tried diets or nutrition plans where they either restricted their calories or they restricted exactly what they're supposed to eat. They've never been able to stay on those diets, and all those subjects or patients have always gained the weight back because there's certain things that you just can't live without or there's certain traditions mm. that you've been brought up with. There's certain celebrations that you want to be, be a part of. And you just don't want to feel like you're a weirdo when you're either out socially with your friends or if you're you know in a family gathering. I can remember there was one time my brother even said, you know, Dan, I don't really invite you over for cookouts anymore because I don't know what to feed you. Wow. And I say to him, I say, you know, just put the food out and let me decide what <sighs> I want to eat. (laughs) What I don't want to eat, you know, and I kind of made fun of it. But, you know, but I know there's a lot of people that feel that way. And and sometimes they don't like to even... Talk about nutrition or talk about what they're eating because they're afraid of what people are going to think of them.
1: Yeah, this is very true. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, now that you say that, yeah, it's more of a myth that if you're eating a plant-based diet, that it, you just have a plate full of spinach. And how do you look yeah. forward to? <laughs> how, how are you going to look forward to just a plate of, of raw vegetables? So, can yeah. you elaborate on what, what might that look like for someone who's worried that they won't look forward to the deliciousness of their food?
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that goes along with any training that a lifestyle medicine physician, especially one that um, is based or bases their practice on nutrition, about how do they teach people to do that. And, And I struggled with it for a while until things started coming together for me. And it really comes down to always thinking about four food groups. And if you just don't think about macronutrients, don't get caught. Between that confusion of fats and am I getting enough protein and am I am, how many carbs am I supposed to have? Because we really don't eat carbs, we really don't eat fats or proteins. What we eat is food. Oh, so what amen. I like to yeah, I like to teach people that if you want to create a plant-based diet, think about fruits and vegetables and legumes and whole grains. And if you use those four food groups, you will cover all of those macronutrients and even micronutrients that you need in order to sustain a long, healthy life that is really optimally well, too. Mm-hmm. You'll have the energy. You'll have the nutrients. You'll have everything you need if you just eat those or concentrate, I should say, on those four food groups, really with every meal. And there's you know certain foods that are – even more nutrient dense than others, there might be some that might not agree with your system. So it's that whole discovery of Mm -hmm. what parts of those food groups work the best for you. And then what kinds of recipes? What what do you like? Do you like spicy food? Do you like Asian flavored food? Is it Southwest flair that you like? Mexican food? And in all those different flavors, you can really put together a meal plan based on vegetables, fruits, legumes and whole grains and mix it together and it can really keep you satiated and happy and you never feel like you're really deprived.
1: Well, let me ask the question one that most fitness people tend to follow up with, which is where will I get my protein? You know, if I'm training really hard, don't I need, you know, X number of grams per body weight of protein in order to sustain my muscle development?
0: Yeah, and our our bodies are fantastic with being able to convert some foods into other proteins or mm-hmm. other carbohydrates that mm-hmm. we need. You know, our, our, our body systems are designed so well to survive. So when I, people always ask me that question, in a plant-based diet, your proteins, fats and carbohydrates are really found in all different Food groups. Some have more than others. So your proteins primarily come from green leafy vegetables. We remember Popeye used to grab a can of spinach to save olive oil, not a piece of chicken, (laughs) because he would be able to absorb and utilize those proteins so much better. But then, you know, your whole grains, and I emphasize whole grains, because it's not, you know, whole grain bread, or cereals, it really is truly the whole grains like oats, or barley, most of us you know eat lots of things like quinoa or brown rice Mm -hmm. when we eat plant-based and it's those whole foods with their husks on them in their whole form that really carry a lot of protein and a lot of nutrients with them and then the the third thing is the legumes you know the beans the lentils certain nuts like peanuts or you know or even the nut butters like peanut butter really can carry some protein for you too so as you start to design meals whether it's Asian uh, food that you want to you know, have a meal or if it's Mexican food, you just touch upon all those four food groups, especially those big three where you get your proteins and you'll get enough protein. Mm. There, there is a myth that we need so many of our calories from protein. You know, the science doesn't back that up. Most of the science says that if 10 to 12 percent of our nutrition or our diet plan is protein. That will keep us the safest. That will keep us from chronic disease. The big one being cancer that most people are worried about and low protein diets have been shown to be some of the lowest populations of people that have cancer.
1: Well, let's talk about grains for a second because they certainly have been um, the target of much debate Uh Uh, And especially in certain, you know, labeled food communities, very popular authors have written about, you know, the grain brain and how we need to avoid grains in our diet. So what is your stance there? You know, maybe taking quinoa out of the equation?
0: Yeah, no, quinoa is really a great seed. And most of these grains, you can consider them a seed. My stance with that is that many of my mentors have taught me that when doctors or really high standing people make statements like that they're very good at picking the science that they want to pick mm-hmm. they're very good at really looking at studies but ignoring other studies and that have stood the test of time too there is a an overwhelming literature a, a base of literature that sh- had shows that many societies many populations of people have been sustained on grains, whether it's in South America or Central America on corn and how they made corn such an important part of their life or in Asia with rice and how they made that grain such an important part of their life too. And when you use a plant based diet and you incorporate the whole grains, not the processed grains, not the grains like I said before, the breads or the cereals. Uh, that's where people are making the mistake. That's where people then, through that processing of that, turn those grains into a more sugar form, and it's, I bet, more the sugar that Mm. causes the problem. If you look at other populations of people that eat a lot of grains, um, you know, Dan Buettner's done a lot of work with the blue zones, Mm -hmm. and if you look at those five blue zones of the world, grains are a big part of their diet too and they have some of the lowest levels of dementia some of the lowest levels of of brain disease never mind the other chronic diseases like heart disease and cancer so even you know when th- when when doctors and high level people start talking about certain specific food groups and nothing works in isolation but they work they they talk about certain specific food groups Oh, they make them, you know, because <laughs> they, they know if they do that, they, they're they going to get attention, you True. know, and, and you can write a book and they can, you know, make some money. And, and I, I'm not sure that's really where where we want to be. That's not where the science is going. That's not what the science has taught us over time.
1: Do you suspect that there may be uh, that part of this is due to the genetic modification of foods, especially that we've experienced here in the United States?
0: Yeah, that's such another huge topic, Chalene. It, you know, There are individuals that do have, you know, they, their stomach might get upset during, mm-hmm. with certain food groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, so individuals can take certain things out of their diet that they need to take out. But when you look at whole populations of people, no, I don't think that so much of these genetically modified foods have changed us. But mm-hmm. again, it's still early. We don't have a lot of data, not a lot of t- long-term studies on how it affects us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to just look at some of the alterations and what some of the companies are doing, I mean, if it's a political thing or, a, or, or some type of social thing that you're most concerned about, I can understand that too. And if you want to avoid certain GMO foods because they're either dominating the marketplace, then I, I, I would have to agree with that.
1: Uh, I like and I, sl- I love the stance, you know, because I, 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 too, agree that we, we do need to see a preponderance of evidence. And that right. and the bottom line is, if something does work for you, it does. And if something doesn't work for you, it doesn't. And it doesn't and matter right. what the research shows if you are, you know, following your own study of one. But um, I also tend to agree with you that much of the problems with grains is that it doesn't look like, you know, the loaf of bread that our ancestors would make yeah. grains nowadays tend to look like something in the form of a Dorito. And that's right. what the problem right. is. And, right. and how also do you think that gluten may play a role? Do, is gluten something you would advise your patients to avoid? And I'm not talking about someone with celiac disease, but in general, right. the average person you're treating, what's your stance on gluten and grains?
0: You know, it, again, it's very individualized. I agree. Celiac disease is such a low percentage of the population that taking those people out, doesn't really remove that many, but then there are some people that when they eat certain processed grains that have you know gluten now either taken out or even added in, um, it really yeah it upsets their stomach. It can be very irritating to the digestive tract. Very inflammatory. But oh, yeah, it's very inflammatory, and so for those people. Yes, they they should remove it. But it's one of those things where each individual has to test themselves and, you know, take it out, see how they feel. They can put it back in, maybe get it in a more whole form. Not many of us eat what gluten comes in unless you're eating processed Mm. wheat or processed, you know, barley or processed, you know, um, um, rye. And I mean, I really don't eat a lot of that. So most things, unless it's made in a plant where it might be contaminated by other gluten then, you know, most of the time, if you eat it in its whole form, whether it's rice or it's, um, it's other like oats, then those things don't have any gluten.
1: Well, but what if I'm eating uh whole wheat pasta? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't right. say gluten-free, it's likely it has gluten in it.
0: But all wheat has gluten, right? So if it's whole wheat pasta and that mm-hmm. upsets your stomach, then maybe you need mm-hmm. to try rice pasta, but it doesn't mean that you have to throw away all the grains.
1: Yeah. And and then what about your thoughts on how some of these grain products, we overdo them, they tend to make us most full, um, they tend to convert into sugar, and therefore we want to crave more and eat more.
0: Right. So processed grains, they remove most of the fiber mm. and the fiber is really what protects us from absorbing those sugars too fast and even absorbing all of them anyway. And so it keeps our insulin levels low so that we really don't have that whole anabolic state in our bodies where we're storing everything and we're pushing everything into ourselves. And, and we, even though we feel satiated, you know, quickly because we just, you know, ingested some food that kind of grows inside our stomach as we drink some as it kind of uh, expands, but it doesn't last long because it's, our, it's, it's so processed that it really breaks down too fast and we absorb it and utilize it too fast.
1: Mm. It really comes down to eating whole. And just because something is labeled on the front of the package as whole grain, how processed is it? And, right. and speaking of that, what is your stance on, say, sprouted breads or tortillas made with sprouted grains?
0: Well, you know, any seed or any grain that's sprouted is going to help, you know, that germination process that goes on will enable it to have other nutrients in it, mostly protein. You know, as it starts to create its new life form mm-hmm. uh, from a seed or a grain into a, a plant, and that's basically what's happening when it's sprouted, then it really has. A lot more nutritional value. So if you know, many people can't tolerate it, because they just don't like the taste of those sprouted breads, Mm. or sprouted, sprouted tortillas or wraps. And so it's, you know, it's again, individualized, and it really has to be the person, I, I just don't eat a lot of products that are processed that's Mm, all mm. that's one of the big things i try to help people with again when i tell people to eat a whole food plant-based diet how do they know it's processed and i tell them never look at the front never look at what the box bag jar or can says turn it over and look at the nutrition facts but don't get lost in the label look right down at the ingredients Mm. and if those ingredients have anything that says that it's enriched then you know it's processed if that says that there's anything hydrogenated then you know it's processed mm. if it has anything that's added sugar and sometimes companies will put that big word sugar But a lot of times they'll hide it because they want to make it like sound more natural So they mm. might have something like evaporated apple juice, but really what is that? That's just apple juice that has the water taken out. And what are you left with? But sugar hmm. so they, they really try to disguise it because they know what we're looking for But still if it has if the ingredients have really any words you can't pronounce then you know it's processed So it's really simple to try to figure out what a whole food is and what a processed food is. There are so many packaged foods that I eat that the ingredients are just one thing. Like Mm -hmm. my old-fashioned oats, the ingredients simply say whole grain rolled oats. That's it. That's it.
1: (laughs) I love it. What about, you know, while we're on the subject of labels, should we trust terms like all natural?
0: No. There's no regulation on what a company can put on the front. And there's no regulation on how healthy they can make it appear. But there are regulations on what they can put on the nutrition facts label. So Mm. learning how to read what the nutrition facts label gives you and what the ingredients are, how to recognize the bad ingredients versus what the good all natural whole food ingredients are.
1: Well, and I think that can be so misleading to the average person. They flip over the package, which, you know, number one, I think that's, we're already stepped down if we're holding a package, but let's be realistic. My house has plenty of packages in the pantry, but we're we're holding a package. We flip it over and on the back, it lists a couple of ingredients and it also says natural flavorings. And I think the average person is going to see that and go, wow, I recognize All of these things, I can pronounce all of these words, and natural flavorings certainly sounds whole and natural. What do we need to know about that term?
0: Well, it's scary. Because you never can trust any of that. So if, if, if they don't want to list what it is, usually they'll make, you know, the good companies will put in parentheses what that is, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, some type of orange extract, or even if they uh, use other chemicals, whether it's coloring or certain dyes that they have, that's a better company that that's some that's somebody that you would trust more. Mm-hmm.
1: So if I'm eating a plant based diet, is it okay for me to occasionally have meat?
0: Well, I described what my whole food plant-based diet Mm -hmm. is, where there is times that I occasionally have meat. If I do choose to have meat, more often it is from the sea, you know, in the form of fish. As I said, through so so many of the traditional dinners that we have, uh, we really, you know, eat the seven fishes at Christmas Eve. It involves a lot of seafood. Being from New England, being from Boston, also, you know, we tend to go and do a lot of seafood. One of the things i tell people too is that they need to understand themselves and you got to really know your numbers like know, you know simple things too your weight your body mass index but even more specifically like what your cholesterol is you know what is your like homocysteine level so that you can kind of understand what's going on in your body and then when you introduce Mm -hmm. other food groups like meat or whether it's fish or even animal products Know what that, what that does to some of your chemistries. Mm. As as you get your blood or your serum markers checked again, you can kind of figure out has that made a difference. Is it that difference detrimental to my health? Is it more positive to my health? So it's really important. And it's one of the principles that I like to teach people is you know to really know your numbers. And then beyond that, pay attention to how you feel. How does it make you feel? inside or mm. does it make you tired or what does it make you feel like and last thing would be you know what what is uh, wh- where the where's the meat from or what's your source mm. uh, of the animal product or even the fish product there are so many people that never eat fish when they go out because i've even heard that fish in the restaurant industry is one of the least regulated yeah food groups, and they stay away from fish every time they go out to eat. But most of the time, if you're in a good restaurant, you've been there a few times, you know, the people, you know, or no, know, know you know, the owners of the restaurant, then you can trust them, then you can order the fish. But if it's a strange place, it's really hard to know what you're getting, even though you're ordering what you think is good. Wow.
1: You know, I eat primarily a plant based diet, I transitioned onto it slowly. And one of the things I struggled with Uh, missing the most was not because I I don't I don't really like the texture of meat. But when I started going plant based, I missed having like that one thing that had a meaty texture almost. And so it took me some time to figure out other than beans, what I could use as a replacement, not that I was missing, like the iron, let's say in the meat, but more so just that the texture. So what are some things that people can use as alternatives to meat?
0: Yeah, not only the, the legumes, you know, to make even, you know, g- delicious meals. You know, we make tacos often with legumes. Mm-hmm. Um, we use uh, rice, too, uh, mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, sometimes we will, you know, create plates that have uh, some of the root vegetables, too. And those are very satiating. Uh, sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. even white potatoes, mm-hmm. um, beets, you know, and onions, they, they tend to be very satiating. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we, you know, sometimes if you even want to try different substitutes, like tempeh, um, that you can buy, you know, other places. Uh, I, I, I've never tried to make it myself. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but there are there are at good places, good stores, you can find some well-made tempeh or well well well-made satan that really is a great substitute if you need that texture. But even beyond that, if you want to just use whole foods and less processed, you can make a lot of great dishes or you know burgers at home, meatloaf at home. That is all plant-based, whether it's rice you know as a grain or barley as a grain, uh, mm-hmm. we, which we've used oats are great binders to create you know foods that are really full of texture and full of flavor. I can go on and on, but... Um,
1: well, let me ask you about tempeh and tofu um, because those are two yep. that often come up and it seems that there's a lot of fear around the the effects that those may have on estrogen levels for women. And you'll correct me if I'm wrong that a lot of that is myth-based, but what is your personal stance on recommending foods such as tempeh and, and soy-based products?
0: Shalene, I think that uh, we've learned a lot about mm-hmm. what phytoestrogens are are and how they react in our bodies. What we've discovered is that there are more than one type of estrogen receptor mm-hmm. in a woman's body. There's alpha receptors and beta receptors, and phytoestrogens tend to bind more to the beta receptor than the alpha receptor. Phytoestrogens tend to be more stabilizing rather than more enhancing or mm-hmm. more active driven. So the phytoestrogens in many areas can be both activating and then in other areas be very stabilizing for example in endometrial tissue of a woman you know it might stimulate that endometrium but in the breast tissue it might just stabilize and not react with that breast tissue so soy has lots of phytoestrogens in it and so what happens is that it reacts mostly with the beta receptor there's been some great studies just recently out of harvard university showing that women in the nurses health study done here in boston showing that women who consume the most soy even those that have been diagnosed with breast cancer actually have Longer longevity; they live longer. They have a better recovery uh, from Hmm. their condition. So it's really kind of turned around. Yeah, it's really turned around in 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 the recent past, where we're starting to understand more and more. And that's really where plant based nutrition comes in. That there's so much that's being discovered every year. That you know, you think that you know, people are just trying to ride a wave or, or or try to get onto something new. But a lot of this stuff that we're discovering with nutrition and how these plants work is new. And so you got to keep your ears open. You got to really, you know, watch the presses and see what's coming out.
1: Recently, I did a snap series kind of showing people what I was making for dinner, which happened to be tempeh. And I just got... Barrage with comments from women saying, "I don't understand why you would be showing this. Um, soy is definitely linked to increased risk of breast cancer, etc." And I knew, of course, that that was a myth. And I asked yes. each person who sent me that comment, "Where did you hear this from?" And, right. and, and everybody replied the same thing: "I heard it on the news, or I heard it from a friend, right. I heard it from my mom. No reliable sources." So I just proceeded to keep snapping photos of recent, really recent research, credible research, showing how it would actually the opposite is true. It diminishes um, so many of these things we're worried about, even diminishing the um, symptoms of PCOS. And it's just funny how we we hear something on the news, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, at least up until this last year. I mean, I've just drawn a line in the sand now, and anything I hear, it's like, even if I hear it from the most reputable source, I need to see the research. But until then, I would just kind of, you know, I heard somebody say it, I heard it on the news. So therefore, it is. I know
0: we get caught in that sometimes and they make it sound so cool. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you end up believing, you know, some things that are, are really just not based on science, just based on people's opinion. And one of the things I like to teach people is when you decide to do something like a plant based diet, you got to really look to the next step. And that's to find out the truth behind some of the myths that have been passed down from generation to generation.
1: Well, let's talk about another myth. In order for someone who's eating a plant-based diet to absorb certain nutrients that they really need to have meat in their diet or other certain nutrients, certain fats in order to absorb those nutrients. Is that true? And if so, how can we supplement or do we need to?
0: I think that, you know, again, it's very individualized, but when you talk about fats and about certain fat-soluble vitamins and nutrients that we that we can't really absorb well unless there's fat present. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of uh, plant-based fats that we can eat, you know, nuts and seeds, because and, we don't need a lot of fat.
1: Don't forget my favorite, avocado.
0: Avocados, <laughs> absolutely. I, I just learned so much about avocados. I keep eating more and more avocado oh. too, Shaleen, because I just, you know, there's so many not only great recipes, but there's so many great nutri- there's so, such great nutritional value in having avocado as a regular part of your plant-based diet. But when you have fats like that, you don't need a lot is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. And when you get just some, those nutrients will be absorbed.
1: So where does someone who's um, deciding for themselves for ethical reasons or for nutritional reasons that they want to go fully plant-based, where can they find their sources of calcium and iron?
0: The greatest of all plant-based plants are really the green leafy vegetables. Mm. If we just stayed in that family, it would be great, whether it's the kale, the spinach, chard the collard greens, the dandelion greens, they have a lot of calcium, a lot of iron, uh, a lot of those minerals that we need. Um, That's what gets them to stand up. But again, it's all about not just concentrating on one, but eating the rainbow. When you eat the rainbow of colors within the plant kingdom, then you're assuring yourself that you're going to be able to get all of the nutrients that you need. Mm. There's so many different the the way they all work together too. We can't just say that it's just you know calcium that we need or vitamin B that we need or you know certain iron that we need certain elements that we need. No, they all work together. There's that Mm. synergistic activity that nature's figured out for us. All we have to do is go out and get real food Mm. and eat that, and 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 it'll take care of us like it has for centuries.
1: Well, let's just say hypothetically, I am fully plant-based. I'm down with this. I just know that I don't do well with grains, and I don't know what to have for breakfast. How do I have a plant-based breakfast?
0: That's a great question, too. Not just, you know, oats or cereals that you need to eat. You can have a great plant-based breakfast if you mix together some seeds. Mm -hmm. So we put together things like chia seeds with pumpkin seeds, with hemp hearts, We put together some flax meal we then add in some different flavors like coconut shavings Mm -hmm. um we add in some cacao nibs and then we'll just put in some either almond milk or soy milk to give it some some base And then if you want to add more fats to it to get a little more satiated in the morning, Mm -hmm. you can use nut butters, whether it's almond butter, peanut butter, cashew butter. My mouth is watering. (laughs) But you put that together, and in minutes, especially when you put the chia seeds in there, those chia seeds really expand and really make a nice breakfast porridge for you.
1: Now, do you soak your chia seeds in advance?
0: You don't have to. It just takes a little bit longer. It might Mm -hmm. take about four or five minutes before they really start coming together and Mm -hmm. opening up for you. But some people like to soak them beforehand, but they'll open up.
1: Dan, you and Pam have been married for how long?
0: For 33 years, Shalene.
1: Congratulations. That's amazing. (laughs) And you you. have how many children?
0: We have six children. We're lucky to have three girls and three boys. Wow. We now have two grandchildren, too. My daughter, Sarah, just had her second baby. And we have a little grandson to go along with our granddaughter.
1: Well, you and Pam are just your amazing parents. And as a parent, I think Thank you're the you. perfect person to ask then. For someone who has children and they're, I mean, they go to their friend's house, their friends are eating processed junk. That's what they get at the schools, it's what they're inundated with in marketing and TV and ads. How do you help your family? to eat as healthy as possible. And, and what did you do in your own family? Was it just okay, we're all eating plant based? Or did you let your kids make decisions for themselves? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. It's a big challenge, especially when you have a lot of kids, because they're going <laughs> in so many different directions. But I think being a model for them is so important. Mm-hmm. What you have in your house you know, without all the junk food that you might find in other people's houses, that they just don't get used to eating those foods. Mm-hmm. And then when they go over to their friend's house, they might start asking questions about, you know, do they have other options? Because they're really not used to or, you know, uh, eating the foods that that they're being offered that the other kids have. Mm-hmm. When Pamela and I first got started, I remember, you know, we did it slowly. You know, it's not something that you just take on, you know, two feet in all the time. And mm. what we decided to do first was to break up with dairy. And I love to say break up with mm. dairy, Shaleen, because I know how much everybody loves dairy products, because mm. it has everything in it that we love. It has all the sugar in it. It has all the fats in it. So it just tastes so good in our mouth, but doesn't do any good in our bodies. Mm. And so we, I can remember the ceremonious pouring the gallon of milk <laughs> in the refrigerator down the drain with the kids gathered all around saying, as of now, we're breaking up with dairy and we're not going to have dairy products in the house anymore. And so when the kids go out and they're going you know, to their friend's house, they, they might get offered milk products, dairy products, and they say no. They'd rather have a glass of water. And then what ends up happening is the kids start asking my kids, well, why don't you have that? and And they start learning more and then wanting to know more. And then even start asking if they can come over to our house and start asking Palma and I, you know, what, what can they eat? What should they be eating so that they can look good, feel good, have more energy and just really be the best person they can be? So that we, we get that all the time.
1: Did you begin by educating your kids? And, and so as I'm picturing you dumping out the milk, you know, as, as a kid, were you explaining to them why or are we just saying it's bad for us?
0: No, I I try to keep it as simple as possible. Just, you know, as I said to you, we we try to tell them that it really has not the proper proteins that are designed for us, that there really isn't any other mammal in the whole world that continues to drink or eat dairy products as an adult. They Mm. wean from their mother. They Mm -hmm. drink water after that. Uh, We start, you know, just basically doing some basic education so that they would at least have an understanding that it's really about, Food and the way nature wants us to have it.
1: Well, let me ask you this: If somebody is not yet ready to make that breakup <laughs> complete, they want to dr- they want to drag this relationship out a little bit longer. Um, do you recommend that people go with a low fat version of dairy or full fat? I mean, obviously, your recommendations people completely break up. But for that person who's like, I can give yeah. up milk, but I don't know if I can give up my uh, my creamer in my coffee. Yeah, what's your stance on full fat versus low fat?
0: Obviously, the fat that's in dairy is the wrong fat. It's the saturated fat. It also has a lot of sugar in it. So you really want to really restrict dairy products because of that amount of sugar. So there are so many different options that are out there depending on what they need their dairy product for. Whether it's a creamer in your coffee, they have coffee creamer. They have, you know, uh, whether it's almond milk or soy-based creamers that are very delicious and even that have low sugar in them some of them have no added sugar they're unsweetened Mm -hmm. and it really can be low fat for them too so it really makes a big difference um because they have so many different choices now
1: so you're saying you need to break up
0: (laughs) you need to break up because there's so many things that has the wrong protein too and you know that casein Mm -hmm. protein is really a growth promoter you know uh, our our milk human breast milk is 20 percent casein protein 80% 80% whey, where your cow-based milk products are the exact opposite, 80% casein protein. It's going to make that baby calf a huge cow in a year. So we don't need that. Yeah. You know, it's only going to make all our cells grow too. And God forbid if we have an abnormal cell because we've been insulted in some way, we don't want to promote the growth of that cell either. Mm-hmm. You know, that could lead to things like cancer.
1: And for the person who is working to make this a uh, transition, and, and I know there are those listening who, they do things cold turkey. I mean, my mm-hmm. mom is one of them. Like, when she yep. you know, knows she's going to do something, she just does a cold turkey. I, on the other hand, am not that way. I need to do things. I don't like to be told what to do. I want right. to transition slowly. So what might that transition look like for someone who, not hopefully, especially those listening who are our parents, they're not going to just transition themselves onto a healthier way of eating, but they understand the responsibility we've been bestowed with the gift of, of life, the gift of our children, and that yes. our, it is our responsibility to care for them, if not as well as we do ourselves better. How do we transition ourselves and our family onto this way of eating without getting a mass rebellion from the people who live in our home?
0: Right. And we, we did the same thing. When when I used to have my lifestyle medicine practice, I had it outside you know, my OBGYN practice. I actually opened a separate office. I would run group medical visits where groups of people would then come and visit with the office. And we'd have six-week and eight-week programs. And we would take people along that path of how they would transition from the standard American diet to a more whole food, plant-based diet. And we would start like in the first week, to break up with dairy and just take dairy out, think and learn about the dairy substitutions that you can make in the meals that you're making, in the, in the way that you're preparing your food. The second week, we would take out all animal products, all meats. So then by week two, we have dairy out of our lives. Now we're taking meat out of our lives. So again, we're looking for the whole grains, the legumes, the green leafy vegetables to really help satisfy our hunger. And then in the third week, we would eliminate all the processed oils to try to really get the oils out of our lives, too, because many of us, you know, we add in too many of those processed fats, whether it's you know, corn oil and vegetable oil, canola oils, to help make our meals more robust and more filling, and yet that is very detrimental to our health also. Because not all oils are just unsaturated or saturated they're all combinations of saturated and unsaturated some of them have omega-3s and some have more Mm omega-6s so we have to be real careful on how much oil we consume and just the amount of calories that come with the fats you know it's twice as much uh, almost three times as much of the calories that come in our proteins and our carbohydrates and so really breaking up with uh, getting rid of those oils by the third week so that by the third week you don't have any dairy products you don't have any animal products and now you're really cutting back on all your oils and then by four and week five you've, you get that practice honed so that by the end of the six week program you really know what it's like to eat a whole food plant-based diet
1: what oils are you using for cooking
0: most of the time i really try to do cooking without oil You know, there's so many different other things you can use, whether it's water, wine or vinegars to keep things from sticking to the pan or the pot. But if I'm going to use a little bit of oil, like if I'm roasting some, you know, Brussels sprouts, I might first put them in a salad bowl, drizzle a little, you know, extra virgin olive oil on them, uh, just a little drizzle and then, you know, really toss them together to make sure that they're very lightly coated. But I, you know, will try to really stick with olive oils that I know where they from come from that they you know, cold pressed and there, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the you, you, when you smell it, you should be able to smell an olive oil. Mm-hmm. If you can't smell it, then it's just too processed. Um, but if, if I use any oil, I will tend to gravitate toward olive oil. It's, and what about you know, coconut been, oil? Well, coconut oil, I try to restrict in my diet only because it contains saturated fats and not unsaturated
1: fats. And that's certainly um, a big point of debate whether saturated fats are actually good for us or not. And you know, I think we both can agree that trans fats are the ones to avoid, but there seems to be a real debate over saturated fats.
0: And and saturated fats come in all different shapes and sizes too. Mm -hmm. Some of them are worse than others. And if you're talking about coconut oil, you know, it's a, a shorter chain, it doesn't have as many carbons. And so we process that a little bit different in our bodies. Is it as detrimental as some of the long chain saturated fats, maybe not. And you know, maybe it does have certain effects on our lipid profile, like increasing your HDL and, you know, not increasing your LDL as much as some of the other saturated fats. But then you're just splitting hairs when it comes down to it. It's a saturated fat and saturated fats don't behave very well in our bodies as unsaturated fats.
1: Do you believe that it is possible, especially for those in the community who are If nothing else, at the moment, experimenting with a ketogenic diet, trying to reduce their insulin levels, trying to reduce their sugars, and they've had success with that, is it possible to also do a plant-based ketogenic diet? Or should I say a plant-based diet that is high in fat and low in carbs? Absolutely.
0: And when Pamela and I have done that in the past, too. I mean, I'm an advocate for the ketogenic diet. I think there's some great work that's been done to show that it can be used Mm -hmm. as a weight management plan. Mm -hmm. Not that someone can be sustained on a ketogenic diet their whole lives. But if they come in and out, they really want to, you know, give themselves a boost or lose a few extra pounds. Yes, yes, I think it's, it's kind of cool to be able to, you know, increase your fats, lower your carbs, lower your protein and eat a ketogenic, you know, start burning your fat.
1: Isn't that great to know? I'm a big fan of diet phasing. I I don't think that there's personally just looking at the research, there's much evidence to show that eating the same way year after year, day after day really serves us. I think that we are meant to do things kind of seasonally and it's a great way to break things up and to kind of get our habits in check. Um, I think it's also really important for people to hear that they can eat a diet that's higher in fat, lower in carbs, that is plant-based, because I hear so many of these people, who shall remain nameless, who are on a high-fat, low-carb diet, and kind of advocating just meat and butter and meat and butter, and that just, it kind of defies common sense. Like, no, that was never possible in our ancestral history, even though it's a lot of I tend to hear people who are fans of the ancestral diets, um, fans of this, like, you know, all meat, all butter. And it it just kind of defies common sense. But what is your stance on, you know, some of these popular all meat, all butter trends? Well, you know, Shalina,
0: it comes with a lot of baggage. Those animal products aren't just fats and proteins. You know, they have a lot of other different chemicals within them, the way those proteins react in our body, the way they form other compounds in our microbiome that we absorb and cause lots of inflammation and lots of damage to our body. So we don't want to, we don't want to just add lots of animal product because we're looking for higher fats. We can get higher fats in plants through the seeds, the nuts, the avocados. If you want to add some coconut, if you want to even use some mct oil if you can tolerate small amounts of that yeah. you know to try to get more plant-based but be careful not all MCTs the same you know really go for a coconut based mct some of that mm-hmm. uh, palm oil can be uh, can <laughs> really adulterate it and not make it as good for you but anyways um you know i i think that yes a plant-based ketogenic diet is attainable i know that Pamela and I have done it in the past and have enjoyed doing it. It can be challenging. You have to kind of get used to eating a lot of the same thing because you're getting your fats from the same thing, but you end up adding different things to it whether they're the, you know, the vegetables that grow above the ground that you, you know, create different meals with. Uh, but, you know, to keep those car- carbohydrates as low as possible is a challenge. And again, what is low carbs? You know, mm, yeah. some people like to drive it down to 30 or 50 <laughs> grams a day. If you kept it under 100, and you did that for a while, I know you would reach the state of ketosis yes. after a couple of weeks. That's,
1: that's really, I think, key is I, so few people realize how high their carb intake is, right. unknowing, knowing unknowingly. And um, it's not difficult to have to reach the number of fats that would you know put you into a higher range percentage wise just simply by drizzling some oil on your salad by adding avocado to your tempeh like That's there's right. so many simple ways to do it so I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you're a fan of and and just offering that alternative to people because i think it's a it's a much healthier alternative and i appreciate your perspective there but
0: I love the way you bounce in and out, too. It's always great yeah. to reset. You know, yeah. it's always good to to do that for yourself. And it, and it makes, you know, your di- your nutrition plan or your diet plan more sustainable.
1: Well, we spent a lot of time talking about diet and nutrition. But I know that you approach wellness from a whole person perspective. Aside from, from a nutritional standpoint, what else can we do that really will help to boost our overall wellness? And, you know, I've spent a lot of time this year focused on improving my gut health. What Mm -hmm. lifestyle habits would you recommend will just add to our quest to become healthy? And as we're changing our what's on our plate and paying attention to it, what should we pay attention to in our lifestyle?
0: Um, You know, one of my greatest mentors, David Katz out of Yale University, had taught me that what we do with our fingers, forks and feet are the most important things that keep our lives healthy. And when you just think of simple things like that, you can almost incorporate all of your life into it. So besides some of the nutritional things that I talk about, my other big pillar in lifestyle medicine is physical activity. And I don't like to say exercise, Shalene, because mm-hmm. then people think they have to join different programs or get into gyms or, you know, I can't do that. I'm not yes. athletic. Or, but it's really about moving your body and moving mm-hmm. every single day. And even not just, you know, doing it for 30 minutes, because if you just move for 30 minutes and then go sit for six hours, <laughs> that's not good either. So it's moving every day, but all day and getting outside as much as possible. Uh-huh. And then, and then drinking enough water. And I mean, that's one of my eight nutritional principles is that we really should focus and have goals like that half an ounce for every pound that you weigh kind of goal. So if you weigh 160 pounds that you're looking to drink 80 ounces of water a day and try to you know keep track of that.
1: How much water is too much water?
0: Yeah, oh, that's a great question. I think, you know, in healthy people, they're able to clear as much as they can drink if you really are feeling as though water's bogging you down and you're starting to feel bloated, you're drinking too much water. Mm. If you find that you know, you're urinating too often and you keep getting up, your body's telling you you're taking in too much water. Mm. So listen to your body. Understand you know, what makes you feel good and not so good. You know, what makes your body function abnormally? If you're, if you're the one getting up to go to the bathroom all the time, you're probably drinking too much water.
1: Mm. Maybe I, I take in too much. I went from having like none to um, feeling naked if I didn't have one of those twenty-five ounce insulated water bottles in my hand. But I might wonder if I'm overdoing it. I probably have in the neighborhood of a hundred to one hundred twenty-five ounces of water a day. Mm-hmm. Is that pushing it? Yeah,
0: that's pushing it because <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, you don't have to tell us how much you weigh, Shaleen, but I bet you <laughs> you could probably get away with someone somewhere between forty and fifty ounces.
1: Okay. Good
0: to know. <laughs> but even still, besides moving, you got to rest too. You have to be able to recover mm. from all the work that you do. Recover not only physically but mentally. So sleep is so important. And so <laughs> how much how much we talk about sleep in lifestyle medicine yes. and the new work that's coming out understanding the sleep cycle and not that everybody needs to get eight hours of sleep a day you really have to know how much your body needs but understand too that if it's if you're breaking up a 90 minute cycle or it might even be 100 minutes if you're breaking that up you know instead you know because there are some people that say that seven and a half hours of sleep is better than eight hours of sleep mm-hmm. because you you want to do it in 90 minute increments. And when you do it yeah. that way, then you tend to get through a whole cycle and you don't disrupt your sleep pattern. So I think that's very important, too. And then the last thing and then and I think that, you know, the blue zones talk about this a lot. Dan Buettner's work talks about relationships and how humans really love to belong and they need to belong mm-hmm. even even beyond that need to survive or their ability to survive that need to belong, whether it's in a personal relationship, or even a relationship with a group of people. And even in the blue zones, they form groups of people that they kind of follow each other and are accountable to each other. And that relationship, those types of relationships are really what are going to give us the longevity, the willingness to want to move on and live a longer life. Amen. Yeah, that's what you need. I mean, that, and then if you want to give up some things, well, like doc, Dr. Katz says, the fingers, you know, don't smoke cigarettes. Don't use tobacco in any way. That's really been shown over and over again in thousands and thousands of papers. It took the Surgeon General 7,000 peer-reviewed journal papers to put the warning sign on the side <laughs> of the cigarette box. I mean, I think that's crazy. We can't wait for government. We can't wait for government. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah, I, you know, have, have you read uh, Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf?
0: Wired to Eat? No, I'm, I'll put that on my list.
1: Great, great book. But um, you know, Rob talks about exactly uh, your sentiments around relationships. And and as I was reading the book, I thought to myself how we have mistaken our online relationships to take the place. Especially myself, being kind of an introvert, I, I like to be in my house, and and uh, I it's just it's comfortable to be here. But I've got to get out and and just really making a concerted effort to connect and yes. spend time physically with friends. And so I I try to multitask that, and I'll you know one of your other recommendations, which is to move more. So most of my workouts, I think you know that's a great time to connect with people who have a relationship with my friends, my best friends, and spend time outside and and take in the fresh air. And so I'm doing multiple good things for myself. And and it also helps me to clear my mind, because if I'm with a friend, I'm not talking about work, per se. Right, right. Well, these are wonderful tips, Dan. I really appreciate everything that you've brought to the show today and your uh, just... You know, practical approach. And I love that you're a dad and Uh that you work with your wife and that this is something the two of you share a common mission to help people improve their lifestyles through nutrition and and also some of these lifestyle practices.
0: Well, thank you, Chalene, for having me on the show too. It's been a great journey. I always learn whenever I try to do anything that's a little bit out of my comfort zone and doing interviews like this can sometimes be a little (laughs) out of our comfort zones, but I appreciate you having me on your show and giving me this opportunity.
1: Dan, where can my listeners learn more about what you're doing?
0: Right. Well, they can find me on the web. My website is Daniel Witkowski, MD.
1: Let's spell Witkowski for people.
0: Sure. It's W-I-T-K-O-W-S-K-I. So Daniel Witkowski, MD.com.
1: Got it. We would love to have you back again, especially to maybe dive into some of these topics, because I think people have a difficult time figuring out what a ketogenic plant-based diet might look like. So I think you've got an invitation to to return to the show if you'd be willing to accept.
0: That sounds great. It would be my pleasure to do that, Shalene.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Dr. Dan. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Great. Talk to you soon.
1: So maybe you've been hearing a little bit about the testing, the diet beta testing I've been doing and wondering what exactly it's all about. Well, let me share with you who this is for. This is for those of you who have been dieting or restricting your calories or exercising until you feel like it's just not working and there's really no more time or no more abuse you wanna put your body through. But your body just isn't cooperating and you're starting to feel frustrated or like a failure or like your body is working against you. I'd like to encourage you to be a part of my next Test group. You can join it by going to dietbetatest.com. Now, because this is a testing process, not everyone who goes through the program will experience the same results or be on the same program. In fact, this is about the study of one. You'll understand how your metabolism works, how you need to eat according to your body type, your history, how you respond to carbs and exercise and stress overcoming weight loss resistance and healing your brain and so much more, like reducing our risk of disease. So if you're sick of all these crazy fad diets and people raving about their diet and knowing you've tried it and it just doesn't work for you or worrying, if it's actually right for you. I encourage you to join me in the study of one and get your own answers. We've had more than 15,000 people go through this program with an average weight loss of nine pounds in less than two weeks. People who've said they've struggled to lose weight for more than five years and for the very first time, the scale is moving and more importantly, they're understanding what works for them. Because if it's misery, what's the point? This is about living. This is about reclaiming the word diet. Instead of going on a diet, having a diet that works for us. Join me by going to dietbetatest.com and you'll be first to be notified when our next group opens.